this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. talking about fasting and feasting now for four weeks. This is week number four of fasting and feasting. And I have heard from so many of you that are trying this out. I know of a home group, Kim and Chris's home group were fasting their usual home group meal this week. And she said it was so hard. (laughs) I missed the food so much. But I love hearing your stories of trying this. So we are doing spiritual warfare together which is an amazing thing. Uh, and I think you can feel it in the room. This new, there's a, a new passion, vibrancy flowing out of us right now. And I think that's in direct correlation to obedience. Passion breeds obedience. Obedience breeds passion. I've seen it happen over and over and over and over again. It's amazing how it happens. And so We've been talking about this dichotomy between fasting and feasting, right? How fasting keeps us on the right track. Last week we saw King Nebuchadnezzar, right? How, how arrogance and plundering our blessings can often lead us into having to be disciplined by God, and no one wants that. <laughs> much, much better to be self-disciplined by being obedient to who he is, by staying humble, using our gifts and our blessings to help others, And we keep God's blessing flowing that way, right? God can keep using us when we're humble. But he humbles the proud. And that often stings a bit. It's ouch when he humbles us. So, well, today I felt led to share a scripture that I'm sure you all know very well. This is a piece of scripture that in our culture, for whatever reason, it is still prevalent enough that lots of people know it by heart, maybe even only a little bit of it. Um, But I have never preached on it, crazily enough, Uh, at least not on a Sunday morning. I have used this passage in every single funeral I have led. I'm always a little confused by that because it's not a passage about the dead. It's a passage for the living. Now, I know a lot of people have this memorized. I am going to read it. This is Psalm 23, by the way. I am going to read it in the New Living Translation, and it's my hope that you'll just try to leave the memorization part behind and just listen to the actual words. Right? Well, I often, when I have scripture memorized, I sometimes go into just the rote, like, I don't know, repetition of it. Just Try to listen to these words as I read it today. In fact, think of yourself like a sheep in a field. We're talking about Jesus as the good shepherd. But sheep, I hear, I don't know much about sheep. We're not really farmers, most of us in this day and age. Anybody know anything about sheep? Some of you. Okay. Some of you are farmers. Well, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but sheep are dumb. Am I right? Yes. Sheep are dumb. Uh, they have very little going for them in the way of protection. Okay, they don't <laughs> have big claws or, you know, there's not a whole lot they can do for themselves. Um, to be honest, it sounds a little bit like humans in the spiritual world. We can be dumb, admit it, right? We, we don't have a whole lot of protection except Jesus, <laughs> Don't have a whole lot going for us in the spiritual world except for Jesus, okay? So think of yourself as that sheep, poor little dumb sheep in a field (laughs) as we read this together today. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. 
The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessing. Surely your goodness, didn't we sing this this morning? Your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. And God often uses material things to speak to us about spiritual things. This is one of those object lessons that we find within the word. Physical things speaking about spiritual things. And I want to focus on three things out of this passage here that we can touch and handle. Things that are concrete but have a much more not concrete meaning. They they speak to us about a deeper spiritual truth of how God sustains us. Let me read a couple of verses again. Verse 5. It's actually just one verse. You prepare a feast for me. Some versions say you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. All week this week, I could not stop thinking about three things out of this passage. The table, the oil, and the cup. You prepare a feast for me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. The table, the oil, and the cup. I couldn't stop thinking about this concept, but especially the table. The table here is a symbol of God giving us strength and that he's feeding us, but also of protection. You don't sit down at a feast while being attacked. It's not what you do. And yet that is exactly what David is saying God does for us. He protects us and he feeds us. We can, we can celebrate, and he doesn't just say a meal. It's a feast. We can celebrate even when the enemies are lurking at our door. If that isn't peace, true Peace. I don't know what it is. I say all the time, God gives us peace in the middle of the storm, not in the absence of it. We often feel like peace should mean that I have no issues. Life is good. Life is easy. Right? You're living on easy street. God just lines them up and I knock them down. Was that the right sports metaphor? It didn't feel right. <laughs> I don't think it was right. <laughs> Problem is peace isn't... Peace isn't just this easy and carefree life. Jesus didn't promise that. Like we talked about last week, Jesus said in this life, we will have trouble. We will have trouble. But that he is there with us. So it's not peace in the absence of enemies. It's peace in the midst of the enemies. And this is Jesus who lived what he preached. Remember, we just went through a whole series about him living what he preached, right? He slept through the storm on the boat. Slept through it. I mean, he kept, in, and when you read through the Gospels about his life here on earth, he, he kept reaching new levels of unbothered all the time. And the disciples were so confused about it. I mean, they're freaking out in the middle of this storm, and he's napping, unbothered. Because 
the storm had nothing to do with his mission. It was a, a distraction. It was scary, except when you understand the mission, right? He knew, he knew his father would protect him because he had a job to do and because this world was not his true home. The storm, storm is not going to take me out. I'm here for a job to do, right? God prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies, not in the absence of them. I like to picture myself here settling into a good, big meal. I'm not talking like a bag of cold chicken nuggets on the way home from work. They stop by real quick to grab from McDonald's, you know what I mean? Not talking about pink goo here. We're talking about a feast. Thanksgiving dinner, okay? The table spread, the place settings, the the flowers, the candles, the platter loaded with steaming turkey and bowls filled with all the fixings. Someone has prepared a table. A couple of years ago, I actually set out, how many of you, raise your hand in this room, if you have prepared Thanksgiving dinner yourself, not like grandma did it and I brought a meal, but you prepared it. There's not all that, okay, here come the hands. Why are you reluctant hand raisers this morning? So a lot of you have done this. A couple of years ago, I set out to prepare Thanksgiving dinner as a young adult for the first time. It struck me as I just said that, that I'm not a young adult anymore. Too many Thanksgiving dinners have passed <laughs> since then. Uh, but I remember the pressure to get it right, you know? There's a pressure on Thanksgiving because you only get one shot at the turkey. <sighs> And you want to get it just right. And it's the preparing the days in advance, right? You're making all the pies and all the stuff to go with it because you can't possibly fit it all in on one day. It's too big of a feast, too important of a feast. It feels very important, doesn't it? All the prep work, you have, you have to get it right. It's not just a meal. It's a table to prepare. It's a feast. This is the, the picture that I get when I think about this feast. The Father himself prepares it for us. Isn't that something? David says, you prepare a table before me. This is not a God demanding our slave worship and our servitude. It's a God who prepares for us. A God who who says, sit down and rest. Let me serve you. And isn't that exactly what Jesus did? Came to us in our mess, and provided a feast for us. The person who does this for me is the Lord himself, David is saying. You prepare a table. Now, notice this is present tense, though. This is not something that God did a long time ago. It's not something that he does once in a while. It is what God does for his people. You prepare a table before me. It is still happening. It's always been happening. You prepare a table before me. God uses this picture to tell us that he will sustain our strength while protecting us all at the same time. As your body is strengthened by a good meal, so you will be sustained by the Lord himself who feeds you. Now, a lot of people get distracted on this because, well, my life isn't, I don't feel like God's given me a feast, right? Are we saying here that David's life was easy? God just handed him? All the blessings, just he didn't have to lift a finger. If you know anything about David's life, you know it was not easy. His, his life was an unrelenting battle, actually. In his early years, David was a shepherd despised by his older brothers. His father forgot him out in the field. I mean, it, it wasn't 
all sugar, plums, and rainbows, I don't think. And then he, he lived as a fugitive hunted by King Saul. When he became king, he inherited a divided kingdom. There were rival tribes and seething resentments, and they were fighting over everything all the time, the deep distrust in his nation. It was not easy. And then we also know that David wasn't perfect either, right? In his later years, David suffered as his family was torn apart by cycles of abuse and violence and death. I mean, we get a lot of information, and we don't get a lot of information in the Word about a lot of people, but we get a lot of information about David. At one point, he had to flee for his life when his own son led a rebellion against him. (laughs) Things were not easy. God didn't hand him everything on a silver platter, but he does set a table. Again, there's this picture of me settling into this beautiful, big, long table with candles and decorations and food, but there's a fence around my table, right? And and in in my head, every time I read Psalm 23, I can see the enemies out there lurking, but I am unbothered. I am enjoying my feast that God set for me, right? They want to kill me, but Jesus is there, so they wouldn't dare. Jesus is there, so they can't even cross the fence. I get to be unbothered because he is my shepherd, because he prepared the table. If the table were up to me to fill, I'd probably be hiding in a cave somewhere, eating those cold chicken nuggets and drinking Dale McDonald's Coke from the bottom of the cup. (laughs) Right? We'd be scraping by. We'd be on the run, scared for our lives, not knowing how to fight off the spiritual enemies on our backs. That's the picture without Jesus, hiding from the enemies because they're the ones in control. Or, and I think this is another word I sort of got during worship today, I actually think it's more common for most of us. We set our own table. It's not as big and pretty as, as God's, but we try really hard. We scrape and we get this table set and then we almost invite the enemy to our table. We're asking him there, not knowing that he's our enemy. He's sitting there all smarmy and happy, stealing all of our feasts right out from under us. And we asked him to be there. Most of us are eating with the enemy, I think. We've invited him right on in, given him all the legal rights to be there by not trusting our shepherd enough to be obedient to him. Our arrogance, we we think we know the right way to do things. We think we know better than God himself. And we allow the enemy to sit at our table. All this, he's snarking and smirking and cheesing me up. He's schmoozing me, saying really nice things while stealing my God-given feast. It's only when I turn back to Jesus, letting him actually be in charge of my life, letting him actually shepherd my life, that I can have the power to kick the enemy out again, (laughs) putting him at his rightful place outside the fence, the hedge of protection that Jesus builds. Do you know the hedge of protection idea? David Romo reminded us of this when he was here a couple weeks ago, because this is an actual thing where he lives in Africa. And he said that they were building their, they only recently built their base uh, in Kenya, Mission SOS, and they had to build a hedge 
you plant, I guess is a better term. You plant a hedge around your base so that lions can get in, literally. I mean, a lion can jump a fence, right? Fences, no good. But there is this hedge that you can plant in Africa that is thick and spiky. It's, it's so much so that a lion's not going to dare to get through it. They can't get their way through it. They can't go over it. It's huge. And you plant it around your base. This is the hedge of protection that the Bible is talking about. He gives us a hedge of protection. We eat our feast in the middle of that hedge, surrounded by lions on all sides, but that hedge protects us. David was actually saying, you have to be real careful because their hedge isn't big enough yet. <laughs> he was sitting outside one night, first couple of nights he was there and didn't want to seem like a wuss and go inside, but he could swear he saw eyes over the hedge and he quickly went inside. <laughs> you have to be careful when there's not a hedge because Jesus is our protection. When you're obedient to him, he provides it. He sets a table before you in the presence of my enemies. God gives us that in the spiritual realm. Prepares a table before me, and my enemies have to sit and watch. The amazing thing is, though, my hedge moves with me. Jesus moves with me. I get to take him wherever I go. God gives strength to his people, and he will sustain you in a world of trouble. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That was the biggest one that I kept thinking about this week. But there, that second one hit me as well. The oil. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. Now, oil is something we're often confused about in the beginning. Why do, why do we anoint with oil, right? Oil was used in the Old Testament to commission certain people for the work God had called them to do. Okay, prophets, priests, kings were anointed with oil because God had given them a particular assignment. If the table speaks of new strength and protection, the oil speaks of new purpose. See, when, when David was called into being king of Israel, he was anointed. The prophet Samuel found David in a field, being diligent and working hard and building skills out there in the field, and he anointed his head with oil. And back then, it wasn't just a little spritz. Okay, they dumped oil on their heads. That's what I feel like today after the skunk incident. I need bathed in something. <laughs> oil, right? They, they literally dripped it. There's this verse in Psalms about um, dripping oil down the beard of Saul or something. That's the picture. I mean, it was dumped on their heads, dripping down them. They probably smelled like oil for weeks. And it's tough to get off because they didn't have Dawn dish soap back then. Okay, they walked around with that for a while. And I think there's a reason for that. With each new anointing comes new responsibility. And it takes a period of adjustment to step into that. The anointing usually comes based on past obedience. But it's not usually an indicator of present ability. Did you catch that? Let me say it again. Anointing usually comes based on past obedience, but it's not usually an indicator of present ability, meaning ability follows the anointing, but obedience has to come first. Right? This is where people usually get tripped up. So we need to be obedient to receive anointing for ministry, but then we have to step into it 
be a good steward of it in order for it to be a real skill, to, to grow into a real skill. We often get that backwards. We think, if I, if I get the anointing, then I'll be obedient. I have the skill, right? So why isn't God anointing me for ministry? Why am I not in ministry? Well, the obedience comes first. God develops the skill later after the anointing. Does that make sense? The skill follows. David ended up having to walk through years of skill building before he was king. He was anointed king, but he wasn't actually king yet. Then he always had that experience to look back on, knowing that God had called him. He he was anointed with oil. He had purpose on planet Earth. A prophet showed up when he wasn't expecting it, when he was feeling insignificant and alone and unseen out in that field, and God anointed him, not just with oil, but with his Holy Spirit. 1 Samuel 16, 13. So, So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And... The Spirit of God came powerfully upon David from that day on. Sense of purpose sustained David. God has given me this work to do. I have been called. I have been anointed. If you, you lose sight of why you are here and what God has called you to do, if you lose that purpose, you'll soon feel jaded and tired and drained and spent. But if you feel that purpose, this is, here's the good news. Jesus gives you the oil. It is a gift. He anoints your head with oil. God has work for you to do on planet earth. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, Ephesians 2.10 says. So it's our job to find out what that is and pursue it with everything we do. As we do, God will sustain you. Look, in America, we often think that our jobs should reflect what our calling is. Like in terms of vocation, it's the ideal American standard to want to do a job that you're also called to do. It doesn't always work that way. Sometimes our jobs are just how we make money and support ourselves while doing the thing that God has called us to do. It's always... um, so inspiring to me to watch the Swedes, because Mission SOS was originally based in Stockholm, Sweden, <coughs> to watch them over the past 20 years sacrifice and save and get to these trips in Africa. They, they approach it way differently than Americans because their culture doesn't support missions like America does. But we send out letters and we get people to give and we ask the church to support They save up their vacation days and sell things and save up extra money. I mean, they're saving their own time, money, talent, treasure, all of it. And they go on these trips as their vacation time. They often take their little ones with them too, which is just a whole other level. So that's a whole other level of missions work. It's just, it's inspiring to me. Because the oil... That anointing is something to pursue. It is something precious and beautiful, but it's how Jesus commissions us, and it's a gift. Psalm 23 tells us this. And now, post-Jesus, with the day of Pentecost, we each get to have access to the Holy Spirit. We get a dose of the Holy Spirit if we want it. We get to move and work on this earth with him dwelling within us. It is a powerful gift from heaven to walk with the Holy Spirit, to have been 
baptized with the Holy Spirit. I had the uh, special privilege of being baptized with the Holy Spirit from a very young age. And I can't even quantify what that has done in my life. The decisions that I made differently than my friends growing up. And the, I mean, none of it was me. It was all the Holy Spirit. I can see that now. So much Holy Spirit change in my life from very early on. He has whispered in my ear and given me wisdom beyond my years and knowledge that I did not earn. He helps cover my weaknesses, my fears, tendencies, all of it. He helps me hold my head high and walk with confidence on planet Earth. That's what the Holy Spirit does. You know, it often also feels a little bit like luck, walking with the Holy Spirit. This past Friday night, can I be really real with you all for a second? This past Friday night, we had a a birthday dinner for my about-to-be-12-year-old who's going to turn 12 in Tanzania which is awesome. But we had a birthday party for her, and I got out the cake. It was an ice cream cake. Got it out. I I literally started cutting into it before I remembered to sing. This is how not with it I was. Turn off the lights. Okay, get in here. Everybody get in here. We got to sing. And then I realized, candles. I didn't get candles. So I'm Fling open the drawer, I'm searching through, I'm desperate, like, oh my gosh, I'm going to end up putting like a big old honking candle in the middle of like a glass candle in the middle of this thing. <clears throat> but sometimes, occasionally, I have like a rogue extra candle from something else. So I'm searching through the drawers. I kid you not, I found a one and a two candle. They had been previous lit, but you couldn't tell. How? I'm still baffled by this. Nobody in my house has turned 12 ever before. Nobody in my house has turned 21 in this house ever before. How? How did I have a one and a two? I put them on the candle proudly, prayed nobody noticed, and I lit them and we sang. And it literally in that moment, it struck me how that's often how the Holy Spirit feels. (laughs) Just this morning, for instance... I don't think Aaron knew I was preaching on Psalm 23 until like yesterday. Did you? Maybe not even yesterday. I don't even think he knew. It's been a week, okay? Usually we talk about these things. We didn't this week. He planned good plans. And if that song was not directly about Psalm 23, how I'm sitting there singing it. Like, how did this happen without us planning it? Guess how it happened? He goes before us. This is the oil. It feels a lot like luck sometimes, but he works things out ahead of me. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. I go bounding, bumbling into this life of my crazy self, not having candles on a birthday party. He follows me. Goodness and mercy will follow me. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes I feel like they got to catch up a little bit, but like... They follow me. That is the oil. And I was just standing there thanking God for the oil. Thank you, Jesus, for the anointing and the sense of purpose that I don't have to have it all together all the time because you cover me when I don't. Jesus, cover me. All the good things about me are him anyway. Right? I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to be like King Nebuchadnezzar from last week and have him have to humble me. I got to remember that he is the one that gives me purpose. He is the one that gives me the anointing. He is the one that gives me the oil. It's not me. It's all him, and it's a gift. 
It's not something you can take. It is a gift. But it is something you have to prepare for. And this is uh, the word for somebody here today. I could feel it when I wrote this down. And maybe you've been looking at everyone else around you saying, look, I'm called to be in ministry or, or I'm called to be in business or whatever it is. But everyone else seems to be succeeding at it. Why aren't I? They seem to have all this luck following them around. Why not me? Look, maybe some of it's luck. Could be. But probably, mostly, it's a high level of preparation. In ministry, this means obedience. Obedience. We don't send the, the Africa team that we lined up here this morning, we don't send them off not having fasted and prayed and read their Bibles and been baptized in the Holy Spirit and, and understanding what they're called to do there, right? We prepare them to go rushing into that lion's den and snatching some back from the enemy. You have to be prepared and obedient. All of the passages about church leadership, are they describe a high level of obedience to the word. Average Christians, we, we get this freedom with Jesus. We do. The Bible talks about it a lot. But church leaders do not. <laughs> it's a high level of obedience. The anointing follows obedience. And so when we're walking with God, the, the, the anointing comes. I'm skipping ahead of myself. Let me get to the cup, and then we'll get there. Number three, the cup. The table, the oil, the cup. My cup overflows with blessings. Look, this is the feasting concept we've been talking about. It's the vibrancy part of our calling and our faith. We enjoy life. We get to enjoy life. We get to enjoy church. We have fun together, don't we? Isn't church fun? Aren't you glad it's fun? Shouldn't it be fun? One time, it's just a real morning. We're just going to keep getting real. Prepare yourselves. Uh, one time, <laughs> we planned an Easter Sunday morning, and we had neon lights going. We gave everybody on their way in a little finger neon light. Does anybody remember this Easter morning? <clears throat> I don't know how many years ago. Five? <laughs> Afterwards, somebody, uh, was it? I think they wrote on the connection card that church feels like a nightclub. Uh, something about a nightclub. So now Aaron and I, we literally joked about this yesterday. The church feels like a nightclub. And I think they left the church over it. But look, Easter is a celebration. I don't, I am celebrating Jesus walking out of that tomb with neon lights and all. Bring it on. We're going to sing our hearts out and be passionate and vibrant. It's not a, a somber, sad thing. And yes, Jesus died and, and all of that is horrible to think about. And every time I do think about it, I get choked up and it is a somber thing, right? But he also walked out of that tomb and I get to jump and shout and be undignified. Isn't that the verse? I'm going to be undignified about it because it is an amazing, miraculous, holy thing. And we're going to celebrate it on Easter Sunday. Gosh darn it. We get to enjoy life. My cup overflows with blessings. Although in this life we will have trouble, it is also incredibly good when you walk with Jesus. All the enemies lurking outside the walls, but this Jesus life means I get to enjoy that feast anyway. David is definitely a man who knew plenty of trouble, and yet his cup overflowed. 
It wasn't just full, it overflowed. Look, I don't know if you've read through the book of Psalms lately. We're actually going to spend summer in the Psalms. That's the next sermon series coming up in a few weeks. Uh, But the Psalms are full of these... I just, I feel so seen when I read the Psalms. When I'm having a tough time, I open the book of Psalms. (laughs) Because he complains and he complains and his life is awful and my enemies are coming after me. God, where are you? But almost every single Psalm comes back to, but God, you are good. I know that you are good. You're so good to me. And I know you're going to get me out of this situation. I mean, it's heavy with critique and complaining, but it's also heavy with worship. We can do both. We can be real in the presence of God. He gets it. He loves us. And he overflows our cup anyway. Psalm says that the Lord, Psalm says that with the Lord there is plenteous redemption. That's Psalms 137. Plenteous redemption. Paul speaks not just of the riches, but of the unsearchable riches of Christ in Ephesians 3.8. Jesus speaks about giving us life and life abundantly in John 10.10 abundance. God has more than enough. I like to think of this in terms of the prodigal son. When the prodigal son returned home, the father didn't meet him with reluctant grace. Oh, I guess you're home now, right? So you've decided decided to come back finally, have you? Well, make sure you don't mess up again. The father ran out to meet the son. He embraced him and he kissed him and he put on the best robe on his back and and the best ring on his finger slaughtered the fatted calf like he went all out for his son. It is not reluctant grace that we come to God with. It is overwhelming, abundant grace. He didn't say there's a cold chicken nugget in the fridge. He prepared a feast and they celebrated. That's what David experienced. Abundant pardon, plentiful redemption. My cup overflows. Here's the amazing thing about this. As I was studying this this time around, all I could see all over this passage was the Lord doing the work. He did all the work. Can we read it again? Put it up on the screen. I want you to see these words, Psalm 23. Let's read them together and look for me doing the work. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk, that's the only thing I'm doing here, walking. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me. I'm also eating. It's a bonus. (laughs) in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessing. Surely goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I walk, I eat, and I dwell. Sounds like a good life, y'all. Walk, feast, and dwell. The only part of this that is my responsibility is to follow the shepherd. If I follow him, he does all the work for me. He renews my strength. He guides. He protects. He comforts. The only action taken by the sheep is walking, which means it's more work to not follow him than it is to follow him. 
we as sheep, we often see a nice little berry off in the rocky. Like we, we want to go off and find the greener pastures. We want to take our own little roots and side roots. It's tougher over there. And yes, Jesus leaves the 99 to find the one. He comes to find us. But isn't it a whole lot easier to just walk and feast and dwell in the dust of the rabbi? To follow him is actually the easiest. It's almost passive following him. The active, harder thing is to take the rocky roots. We actually have to work harder to go off the path that the shepherd lays for us. He is so good. He is a good shepherd. All we have to do is follow him. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? That is fasting and feasting. We lay down when he says to lay down. We get up when he says to get up. We feast when he lays out the table. We fight when he asks us to. That is who Jesus is. He's a good shepherd. He is a good shepherd. It is my job to remember that in everything that I do. This is why we worship, to remember who God is. I reminded the youth of this on Wednesday night. Worship isn't about me at all. Praise and thanksgiving, those things are about me. Praise is telling God what he has done. You uh, heal. <clears throat> That's what you do. You heal people. That's a praise. Thanksgiving is thanking God for what he has done for me. Thank you for healing me. But worship is something completely different. Worship is only about the Father. You're the healer. See the difference? He heals. Thank you for healing me. He is the healer. When we discipline ourselves to worship God on a regular basis, and the more that you do it, the better. It's not just the thing we do on Sunday mornings when we're all singing together. It's a discipline to train our hearts to see God as the healer. When we see him as the healer, we remind ourselves constantly, we're going to go to him for healing. Right? When you're sick, you make an appointment at the doctor. When we're sick, we make an appointment to talk with God when we see him in his rightful place as the healer. Not saying you shouldn't go to the doctor. Please don't take that away. Okay, disclaimer. But it's, it's about how we're seeing the Father. He is my protector. He is my guide. He is my shepherd. It's who he is. So I go to him for those things. He provides all that I need. Goodness and mercy, they follow me. It's not something I have to pursue. Fasting does this as well. When we give up eating for a day to focus in on who he is, we're telling God, I believe that you are my provider. I don't have to stuff my face and and provide for all of my needs and and look out for number one all of the time. You're my number one. I'm going to build your kingdom and let you build mine. I trust you enough to do that. Taking a day off is the same way. Having a Sabbath day once a week. It's it's like fasting work, really. You're again telling God you trust him enough. You don't have to work and work and work and work. That, That one day off is an investment into who he is. And you're gonna let him make you productive on the other six days. Tithing is the same way. Can you see this pattern? How our spiritual disciplines help us keep our eyes on the shepherd. Tithing says, I'm going to give you my first 10%. Whatever I earn, I'm going to give you 10% of it across the board. 
trusting that you are going to grow the 90%. I can trust you with that because you give me all of my needs according to your riches and glory, not my own. When we discipline ourselves, God lays the feast. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that amazing? Isn't this a good life that we're living? Is anybody proud to be a follower of Jesus? To be one of his sheep? Jesus, we thank you. Thank you that you lay a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Thank you that you anoint us with oil, that you send us out into this world with purpose and passion and vibrancy. That we are not um, just fat sheep stuffing our faces. We're not, we're not spoiled, rotten brats just getting fat off the riches of you, but that you put us to work. We are meant to overflow onto the world around us. God, help us do that better than ever before. Commission us to go into this world, vibrant, passionate, selfless, truly changing the world with the message of the gospel that each and every one of us would see ourselves as missionaries here in Adams County and in New Oxford and Gettysburg and Hanover and Bonneville and Biglerville and everywhere that we lay our head down at night, that we would be a missionary to that place. Send us out, God. Help us see the need in our world, that we'd invite more people to our table, kicking the enemy out as we go. That is what discipleship is. Give us the ability, the, the power, love, and a sound mind to help other people out of the muck and the murk of this world. Give us clarity and wisdom to do that well. Let our cup overflow onto the people around us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes still closed today. If you would say, I've never given my life to Jesus, but the, the way you're describing it sounds pretty good. I want to follow the good shepherd. And I know it's going to be tough, and I know we're still going to walk through dark valleys, but I want him to guide me. I'm a terrible shepherd of my own life. I've done this badly. It's not working out. My way isn't working anymore. I want Jesus to be my shepherd. If that's you and you're saying, I want him to be my shepherd, maybe for the first time or it's been a really long time, would you just raise your hand right where you are? If you're in this room and you're saying, I want Jesus to be my shepherd, we call it saying, I'm in. I'm into living this life for Jesus. Shoot your hand up right where you are if that's you. I want to give my life to Jesus. If you're watching online, you can text the number on the screen. I'd love to have that conversation with you. Anybody here today? I don't want to move on and rush this moment. I want to give my life to Jesus. Okay. Maybe today you're, you're thinking, I, I need to discipline myself more. I need to fast. I need to worship I need to take the Sabbath seriously. I need to tithe. Whatever it is, but you, you know that you need to be self-disciplined right now so you can get your eyes back on Jesus as your shepherd. If that's you, would you raise your hand so I know who I'm praying for today? Awesome. Father, we thank you and praise you. Just one last time as we gather here today for a, a long week of fun and ministry, God, we, we bow our heads to you kneel before you, the God of heaven and earth, 
the provider, the deliverer, the helper, the healer, the comforter. God, you are in everything and through everything. We worship you together today. Knowing you are our source, you are our shepherd, you are our guide. Help us fast and and feast in your presence like never before. Help us be that vibrant, passionate, selfless church you've called us to be. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I am in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. 